0: The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. This morning, we want to go back to the book of Mark, the 12th chapter. And we're in the middle of a, a series of encounters between Jesus and the, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. Four in particular, where they begin to question him on various things, not in order to learn information or to, to, to gain more knowledge, but in order to try to trap him and try to trick him. This morning, uh, the account that we're going to read, I'm, I confess to you I'm not completely sure what the motive is of the questioner the scribe although it does tell us in the book of Matthew that he was he was there to tempt him uh, but that also can mean to test him and to sort of feel him out about what his his position is on a particular matter Uh, and you'll see what I'm talking about as we get through this message now the first three encounters in Involve them questioning, first of all, his authority, by whose power do you do these things? And secondly, his politics, uh, are we supposed to pay taxes or not? And then thirdly, last time we looked at his theology, they were questioning him about the resurrection, which is the centerpiece of our theology, of our beliefs as Christians. Today, they're going to, the question is going to involve his priorities. It very easily could be this morning that we, that we title this message, The Main Thing is to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing. And, and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about this morning, is the main centerpiece of our lives. Have you ever wondered what your life's purpose is? you ever thought about, I just don't, what is my purpose in life? You know, I'm, I'm out... Um, seeking you've heard of people going out seeking their fortunes and what they're doing they're just trying to find their way in life they're trying to find their purpose you ever felt like I just need a compass or something to guide me well here it is beloved what we're about to read is is the compass of your life in Mark 12 and verse 28 we begin reading and one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, you see. What is it the main thing in my life? What is the main thing I should be focused on in my life? Well, here we have it from the Lord's mouth directly. Now, the, 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 the scribe here, I just want to take just a second and, and you can look sometime. We're not going to turn there right now. But in Matthew 22, in about verse 34, is where this same episode is described by Matthew. And over there, he's called a lawyer. He's called a lawyer. Now, he's not a lawyer like I am. He's not a lawyer like we think of today. The kind of lawyer that was being talked about in, the day, in that day was it was one who was learned in the law of Moses. It was someone who... Uh, and he's also called a scribe, someone who was learned in the Mosaic Law, someone who was a teacher, someone who uh, most likely had copied the scrolls. So they weren't a distinct religious division. They could be either, but it was, the idea was this was his occupation. And he comes to him and he says, okay, which is the first commandment? And, and notice, notice the priority here that he even begins to place upon this. The, the, the scribe put it this way. Uh, he said, which is the great commandment over in Matthew? He says, which is the great commandment of the law? Uh, and here it's, it's described as him saying the first commandment. And I'm sure he used both terms. And Matthew just tells us a little, uh, a little more information about that. And, and, and the word great there is the word megale in Greek, which means the greatest in comparison to all others. The word protos there, which is first, means first in rank. Not first in number, but first in rank, which is the chiefest of the commandments. And Jesus, using his language, says the first of the commandments is this. There's nothing higher than this commandment. You can go through all the law. In fact, in Matthew, he tells us that on on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If you'll love the Lord your God in this way and you'll love your neighbor in that way, then you don't have to worry about did I keep those Ten Commandments or all these other uh, details of the law. You're going to do that because you're going to always put God and your neighbor first. Now, it's interesting that Jesus goes back and quotes a very familiar passage there for those Jews in that day. He quotes what's called the Shema, the Shema. It was, it was a passage of scriptures found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you might turn back there. We're going to look at it for just a minute. And this passage was quoted every morning and every evening by all the devout Jews in the day. And still today is quoted in that way. These scriptures were written down on little pieces of paper, little parchments, and worn in what they call phylacteries or leather pouches. On their arms or on their forehead by the Pharisees. This was not a new teaching to the Jews of Jesus' day. And I want you to listen to it in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. This is, this is the Shema. This is the Shema. And the word Shema comes from the very first word, hear, O Israel. Here. Uh, the word Shema in Israel means. To hear. And it's actually in this case it's a directive. It's a, in, in Hebrew it says, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Echad. And it's saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And and notice it's funny that Jesus starts there, isn't it? It's funny he starts there. Not he didn't go right to the second verse there with it that's that's where the commandment resides. Uh, and, and I believe the reason for that is, is is in order to hear, in order to and the word hear doesn't mean just to hear with your ears, it means to obey. It means listen. You ever you ever you ever had to take your children and say, Listen to me. Sometimes we have to do that. We have to say, listen to me. And that's what God is saying. He's saying, You sit up, take notice, and obey what I'm about to tell you. And what he's saying is the Lord our God is one Lord. And he's pointing to the divine nature, the divine essence of God himself, as opposed to all the false gods of the world. I mean, when he says, Israel, the Lord your God is one God, he's reminding them that he's different than everything else that you'll find out there. Back in that day, particularly, there was a pantheon of gods and goddesses that they could choose from. Even in the day of Joshua, there was a pantheon of gods that, he could have, that the Israelites could have chosen from. In fact, over in Joshua 24, when he says to them, choose you this day whom you will serve. He's not, you know, so many times the religious world gets that wrong. They say, okay, see there, you've got to choose him. You've got to choose to accept him or choose to reject him. That's not what Joshua was saying. Joshua was, was telling, he had just called the role of all these false gods out there. He talked about Baal. He talked about uh, Molech and all the others. He didn't, didn't reference them all by name, but he said the gods of the Amorites, the gods of the Hittites, those that were all, uh, all over that land out there as they were about to go in and take it. And he, he named them off and he said, let me tell you, if you're not going to serve God, you just might as well pick any of these gods out here. It's six of one, half a dozen of the other. Just choose you this day who you'll serve. Any of these, the Amorites, the Hittite gods, all the ones out there, they're six of one, half a dozen of the other. And beloved, I want to tell you this morning, if you're not going to serve the true God of the Bible, you might as well just go out there and pick you one. Say, which, which church do I need to be part of? Well, you need to be part of the church that preaches the truth. And if you're not going to be a part of the church that preaches the truth, you might as well just go join any church you want to out there. You say, which one do you recommend if I'm not going to be a primitive Baptist? I don't care. Whatever you want to do, go pick. (laughs) It's up to you. Choose you this day who you're going to be part of. But I'll tell you this, beloved, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the true God. (laughs) That's what Joshua was saying. He says, as for me and my house, we're not going to let all these false gods go out there. There are six of one, half and a dozen of the other anyway. But I'm going to serve the true God. That's what... That's what Moses is reminding them of right here. This God that you serve is the true God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one Lord. He's the only Lord. I tell you, beloved, you can serve all kinds of gods out there. You can serve the God of the workplace. You can serve the God of recreation. You can serve the gods of any denominational church or anything that's not a church out there. But you'll never be satisfied like you'll be satisfied serving the true God who is one Lord, and he says, here's the commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Now, I'm going to mention these here, and I'm going to mention them again from the New Testament, because I think it's important that we see just how cooperative they are, how they work together. The heart in the Hebrew day was considered to be the inner man, the man, the mind, the will, so to speak. The soul in Hebrew uh, language in, it referred to the self. Um, the, it, it referred to a living being, an animated creature, a creature being a breathing creature, if you will. Okay? In other words, not just the inner man, but the outer man the life that you live. And and the the word might there, with all thy might in Hebrew, means with vehemence, with strength, with force. And and it it actually can be translated most violently or most forcefully. It kind of covers all the bases, doesn't it? (laughs) In other words, Israel, the Lord that you serve... He is of such a character and such a nature that you need to serve him and love him with all of your heart, with all of your with all of your soul, with all of your might. In other words, you need to serve him with everything you have and everything you are. That's how you need to love God. And there's no exceptions. There's no place in any any anywhere. There's no place anywhere in your life that there's there's an exception to loving God. You say, well, this is my church life, but this is my work life. This is my church life, and I try to do that in my church life, but I have my my play time, my recreation time, and that's a little different. I can go over here and do this, but I'm coming back to church, and I'm going to love Him, and I'm going to serve Him. Beloved, there's no such distinctions in the Word of God. There's no situation, there's no job, there's no ball game, there's no social situation, there's no geographic location where this commandment is not prime. Notice its intensity. Let's go back over to Mark and and notice how the Lord even adds to this. And by the way, when the Lord adds to an Old Testament scripture, he's not changing it, he's not not misquoting it, he's just giving us a little more information about it. (laughs) Don't don't ever worry about that. Well, he misquoted that. No, he didn't. He's He's the living word. He's the word giver. He gave this in the first place. And he can elaborate on it if he wants to. So Jesus goes back to the Shema and says, Here, this is the great, this is the first, this is the primary commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. This is the primary commandment. Now, the the Greek word for these things, the Greek word for heart, denotes the center of all physical life. All All of your life, your entire existence should show forth your love for God, in other words. Now, it's great to be in top physical condition, and I encourage everyone to work on that. But why? Why, young men, young ladies? Why? Is it to impress the opposite sex? Is it so you can walk around big and bad, you know, and, and, and flex your muscles and, and walk around like you're somebody in this world? No. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I just, just, we'll read verse 7, but, but the latter part is what's important. It says, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, now, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Now, he says here, bodily exercise profiteth little, and and he's not saying don't exercise. In fact, we're going to see where we ought to be exercising, Uh, but there's a reason for it okay, is the purpose of your exercising to impress other people? Or is the purpose of your exercising of your getting in shape so that you can show forth your love of God more? So bodily exercise, it didn't say it doesn't profit at all. It does profit. And here's here's the point though, your goal in bodily exercise ought to be godliness and not just impressing the other folks. If your goal isn't godliness, you're wasting your time. It's good to take care of your body. I want to start. I've tried to start taking care of my body so I can have more time in this world to to serve Him. I want to be able to take care of my family. I want to be able to help to them. I want to I want to be here as long as I can be of assistance to them. Uh, I want to, but I want to devote my life, uh, the time that I have, toward serving Him and fulfilling this great commandment of loving him with all of my heart that is with all of my being that is with all that I have within me in my physical life the soul here that he speaks of is the seat of the emotions it's the idea of the feelings or the affections and the purpose here the idea of this commandment is when it says you're to you're to love him with all your soul the idea is that all your emotional life ought to be tied up and focused on Him. Emotion should not control us, okay? But as Brother Ricky Harcrow said one time, I wouldn't give you a dime for a religion I can't feel. Our worship is emotional. It should be. I'm not saying we sit around and cry every time we come to church and we weep every time we think of God. But but it it ought to at least lift us up. It ought to sometimes bear, drag us down from any pedestal we've been put, putting ourselves upon. And it ought to show us, you know, when, when, when John saw Jesus in all his glory, and when Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, it wasn't a ho-hum experience. It wasn't a, huh, that's pretty cool, you know. <laughs> no, he hit the ground. It doesn't tell us his emotional state, but I'll tell you one thing. I've never hit the ground in front of somebody uh, that I wasn't completely overwhelmed, you see. He was overwhelmed by his experience with God. And the idea here is focusing our emotions on him. Now, now let me also say this. Certainly, our emotions are focused on one another, right? I mean, I'm married, and, and, and the center of my emotional life on this earthly plane is my wife and, of course, my children now. You know, that's, that's, there should be an emotional attachment there. But, but I, you know, I think about Job sometimes. I'm so blessed and so thankful. Yesterday at the, at the ordination, uh, one of the preachers that preached the charge talked about how important a preacher's wife is. And, and I'm telling you, beloved, I, I don't know what I'd do without my wife. I, y- y'all, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty pitiful preacher anyway, but I would be horrible. I would just be worthless without her. I would, be, I would be worthless without her. But think about Job. Job lost everything he had, everything he was emotionally tied to his children. He lost it all. And then his own wife came to him and gave him horrible advice. She said, I don't know why you're still sitting out here. Worshiping God. Curse God and die. She tried to turn him away from God. Now, I don't know whether she was in general a godly woman, but had become overwhelmed. That can happen. That can happen. Or if she just wasn't a good woman, (laughs) I don't know. But I'll tell you this, oh Job, you know, at that that's the point where I would be thinking, Well, man, even Sherry's turned against me. (laughs) I guess that's it for me. I'm I'm out of here, you know. But I'll tell you what, that wasn't what Job did, was it? He said, he said to his wife, shall we not receive good from the Lord and not also receive evil? Naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return hither. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in everything we're told, he, he didn't sin, he didn't, he didn't curse God or, or speak foolishly. You know why? I'll tell you what we'll do sometimes, and we better be careful. We get our we get our emotions caught up with a person here in this life. We even our wives, even our husbands. Even our children, especially our children, sometimes we can get so caught up and we forget that the primary emotional tie that we should have in this life is not a horizontal tie, it's a vertical tie. It's a tie to the Lord Himself, you see. We're to love our wives and our husbands and our... our fel- we love and He's going to tell us we're to love one another, but beloved, the primary commandment is to love God. You know why that is? Because He first loved us. He loved us with a love that is an everlasting love. Your wife or your husband is not loving you with an everlasting love. Hopefully it will be everlasting from this point forward, but she didn't love you before the foundation of the world. He didn't love you before the foundation of the world, but the Lord loved you before the foundation of the world. And because He loved you with loving kindness, He drew you to Himself. There's not a person or a or a, anything out there that ought to take the place of the Lord. There's no, there's no sport, no politics, no recreation, no work, no job, nobody that should affect your emotional being like God does. Oh, what a God we serve. He's not an impassionate, impervious God. He is a loving God. His emotions are tied up with you, beloved. Ours ought to be tied up with him. And he says we are also to love him with all of our mind, all of our mind. The idea of the mind here is our way of thinking, our thought life, our understanding. Did you know that God ought to be the focal point of all of our efforts to understand the world and the circumstances that we face in life? God should always be the focal point of our efforts to make sense of the world. In fact, you will never make sense of the world if God is not your focus, if God is not in all of your thoughts. Our thought life ought to be centrally focused upon him. That's that's what we call a biblical worldview. You know what it says over in Romans 12? Let me just turn there and read it. Romans 12 and verse 2. Listen to this. First, verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now listen to this. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Beloved, our minds have to be renewed. And you know how they're renewed through the study of his word. You know, I can go out and read a secular magazine or a fiction book or something like that. And it, and there's several out there, you know, that I like. I've I've read Lord of the Rings two or three times, one of the best fictional books that I've ever read, and it's great. But but I have to come back from time to time. <laughs> and really from daily, because if I don't, I'm in trouble. I have to come back daily and renew my mind in the Word of God. I have to come back daily and, and exchange, you know, renewing your mind, it's, it's, it's like remodeling a house. You're, you're changing out the old stuff for something new. Well, there's old man stuff in my mind. There's, there's old Adam nature in my mind. I have to exchange that for the new things of the Word of God renewing our mind our mind should be transformed by the word instead of being conformed to the world we need to remember that beloved love god with all of our minds and then he says with all of your strength that is with all your ability with all your might with all your forcefulness with all your power (laughs) let me ask you something have you ever exhausted yourself in your efforts to love god I tell you, it's rare to find a man or a woman who's exhausted themselves in their efforts to love God. You ever, you ever run across somebody and they say, boy, you look rough, you look stressed out. I'm just so worn out from trying to love God as much as I can. I've been trying to love him as hard as I can all day, all night. I've been trying to think on him and to renew my mind. You know, I've been exhausted before. But usually it's because of something going on at my work or something going on in my social life or something going on that does not involve God. Back over in Isaiah chapter 55, listen, you know, the Lord knows us so well. He knows exactly what we're going to get into. He knows the problems. You, you think, well, this is new. No, it's not new to God. There's nothing new under the sun. He knows exactly. He knew where you would end up when you started down that path. He knew the problem I would be facing, you know, and I'm so thankful the Lord doesn't just look at me sometimes and say, duh, or, or I told you so. Now, he does tell us that sometimes, but he always does it with a loving arm around our shoulders. Isaiah 55, verse 1, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye by need. I, I want to stop right there and say this. You know, we are we're so good at coming up with excuses, aren't we? We're so good at coming up with objections. I can just see somebody, as the Lord here is talking to them, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And they say, well, I ain't got no money. I I ain't got any way to buy any. I'm sorry. You know, if you don't have any money, he said, come, buy and eat. (laughs) Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. There's no objection. There's no way. That's about it. You know, you talk about deals that are too good to be true. You get these in the mail all the time. You get a phone call all the time. And say, boy, i got a deal that's too good to be true. Click, because it is. <laughs> Not in the Word of God. It doesn't cost you a dime to be here today. It doesn't cost you a penny to be here. You can, you can get in your car. You've got, it does cost you some effort, <laughs> but it doesn't cost you anything money-wise. And he says this in verse 2. He knows us so well. He said, wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not. He's saying, guys, come on, get it together. What, what, how, okay, you know, I can just see him say, you know, you go, I've, I've gone off on my own more than once in my life without the Lord, contrary to his will. And, and it's almost like I can turn around and look back, and he's patting his foot with his arm crossed, saying, How'd that work out for you? How'd that work out for you? You know, the Lord lets us do that sometimes. He lets us experience that. He said, why do you keep spending money and time and labor on that which does not satisfy? Don't we get exhausted in our worldly pursuits? He says, why are you exhausting yourself for that which does not satisfy? I give you a better way. Love God with all your strength. Don't be spending all your strength out there, all your might out there, all your efforts out there on something that will never satisfy you. Brother James and I were talking about this morning about how that at the end of our life, I mean, we all have tried to work and tried to build things up, and some of you young folks are in that process now trying to make a career and and accumulate stuff. (laughs) But guess where it's going to go at the end of your life? somebody else and they may esteem it as something that's a treasure or they may think it's trash and they may throw it away beloved there's nothing there's nothing you have now there's nothing you're working for now in the world that will do you one bit of good on the day you lay on your deathbed i'm not this is not by the way just in case somebody might be listening out there thinking i'm trying to scare somebody into heaven I know that's the way the world preaches. That's not the way we preach here. I'm talking to children of God. I'm talking to those that have been born again. You and I, I trust, all under the sound of my voice have been born again. And I'll tell you, beloved, the only thing that matters on the day of your death is the fact that death is not the end. Praise God. Praise God for that. So, in the meantime, Jesus says, We need to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind and with all our strength. And then he says the second is like unto this one. Love each other, love thy neighbor as thyself. I'm not going to spend much time on that this morning because I've preached on that quite a bit. But let me just say this, that over over in John chapter 13, He gives us a good summation and a little bit of an elaboration on this particular commandment. In John chapter 13 and verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you. And it's really not new. It's, he didn't, and I'm not questioning Jesus here. I'm just saying he's, he's, he's emphasizing to them that this is one of the primary commandments by saying that. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. What did he say? Love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, how is it that we're to love one another? Well, he tells us, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Now, that's a tall order right there. That's a self-sacrificing love. That's a love that doesn't say, well, I'll meet you halfway. That's a love that says, if I have to, I'll go all the way. That's a love that says, you know what, I've only, you, you don't say, well, I've taken all I can take and I can't take it anymore. It's a love that says, I'll go all the way to Calvary if I have to. You see? Now, us going to Calvary and Jesus going to Calvary is two different things, but we ought to be willing to go all the way to Calvary, all the way to death, like he did, in order to display our love for each other. That's a a love that they weren't familiar with in that day. They weren't, you know, it was kind of like, well, you love your friends and hate your enemies. No, beloved, you love your friends and you love your enemies. You mean I got to feel good about my enemies? It didn't say that. I've got enemies. I don't feel good about them at all. I feel bad about them. I don't want to see them. You know, I'm just soon stay away from them. But I tell you what. I've got to love them in action indeed. deed. I have to do good to them when the time comes. I have to help them when necessary because I'm commanded to do that by Jesus who did something amazing. He loved his enemies. And guess what? You and I were in that category. We were his enemies and sometimes we still act like it. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. You come into this church and you say, boy, they really know the truth, so they must be disciples. Boy, they really know how the worship service is supposed to go, so they must, be my, they must be his disciples. No. The way people who walk in that door who've never met us before and never participated in one of our worship services know, the way they know that we're the disciples of Jesus is by how much we love them. How much we love them. Love your neighbor as yourself now now listen to the response here listen to the response as we kind of bring this to a close verse 32 the scribe said unto him well master thou hast said the truth for there is one god and there is none other but he and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding with all the soul and with all the strength and to love neighbor as his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices now this is why i'm not really sure what the real motive of that scribe was it says he was tempting him but that can also mean in a not necessarily in a negative way and this scribe here makes a very insightful statement about what jesus has said he says you know what you have said lord that's better than all these temple sacrifices that i see out here every day and that flew in the face of the temple worship crowd, I tell you. That was totally opposite of what they were saying. In fact, that was one of the problems they had with Jesus as he was teaching them things that flew in the face of the ritual and the rote that they, were, that they were following in their lives. They thought that that's what was important. And Jesus said, uh-uh, it's about the heart. It's not about the actions. It's not about these outward things. It's about the inward things. And then Jesus Told him, he said, when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, that word discreetly means wisely, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any questions. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, You know what, Mr. Scribe? You're pretty close. You're very near. You are not far from the kingdom of God. It, it, When we began this whole series on Mark, we started in the first chapter. And Jesus was preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has come near to you. The kingdom of heaven is not far from you anymore. It is right here. It is at hand. It is here and it is near. And now he's telling this this scribe here, you're not too far. From the kingdom of God. In other words, you're right, especially about the sacrifice. Go back sometime and read the encounter between Samuel and Saul when Saul refused to follow God's commandment in the Amalekite situation. And, and Samuel told him in 1 Samuel chapter 15, about verse 22, he told him, he said, Doth the Lord require, a, a, does he love sacrifice and burnt offerings above serving him, above obeying his word? He says, You're not far. But let me just say something to you this morning, beloved. Not far is still too far. (laughs) Okay? I know a lot of people that are just that close to coming on over and joining the Primitive Baptist Church. Or one of the other, not necessarily our church, one of the churches out there. Truth teaching churches. They're that close. You say, "Oh man, I'm going to pat you on the back. You're so close." <laughs> no, I'm not going to pat you on the back. You're too far. <laughs> if you're holding out out there, if you're even as close as you may be, I know a man who lived his whole life that close to the kingdom of God and never joined the church, never became a part of it and died without that great blessing. Did he go to hell? Absolutely not. I believe he's in heaven rejoicing today. And if there's any regrets in heaven, brother Mackey, I believe it's that Mm, man I should have joined that church <laughs> I should have been a part of that visible kingdom of God not far is still too far and Jesus goes on here and he gives them he's he, he answers I believe the next two the next six verses or so are part of his answer as well with this scribe because he's telling them something he says the issue is clear verse 35 Jesus answered and said while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself called him Lord, and whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. What he's saying here is, listen, the issue is still clear. He's, he's using the words of the scribes against them. And, he, and he's saying the paramount issue, the main thing is still that Jesus is the Son of God. In all of this, you're to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And guess what? I am He. In the beginning of this gospel, he said, it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, it's not good news. If Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, this isn't a gospel. This is just some kind of historical account. He said the main thing, the issue is clear here that Jesus is the Son of God. I am come. I'm, he's trying to explain to them uh, how they've missed the point on that. And then he says in verse 38, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feasts which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. Boy, he was blunt, wasn't he? (laughs) He was blunt. But you know why he was blunt? Because the opposition is real. The opposition is real. The issue is clear, beloved. Jesus is the Son of God. But the opposition is real out there. Don't be shaken by the unbelief and the ignorance and the lies of this world. He calls out their hypocrisy. There's a lot of folks that will lead you astray from the Word of God if you'll let them, if you aren't steadfast. So, in conclusion this morning, let's, what does what this kind of love of God look like? What does it look like? Now, it doesn't mean just showing up in church. Now, now listen. <laughs> It does mean coming to church, okay? I mean, if you love somebody, you ought to want to be with them, right? And he's promised to meet us here where two or three are gathered together. So it does mean coming, but it doesn't just mean coming. It does mean being here. There aren't any other distractions. There aren't any other excuses that, can, that ought to keep us away. And hey, listen, I've said this many times, especially in the day in which we live. Now, Zoom is not the best way to meet as a church. I totally want to, I want to make that clear. That is not the best way. Virtually is not the best way. This is the best way, okay, to be in person together. But under the circumstances we faced over the past year, I understand that there are those that by their physical uh, uh, health situations and, and, and the, the issues with the pandemic, that that's the only way. But, beloved, here's what I'm saying to you. There's no excuse for missing church today, There's no excuse because if you can't be here in person, you've at least got access through this virtual approach, or, or you know, the the third best, I guess, is you, as you sit down on Sunday morning and you at least listen to a to a sermon off the internet, and we post them all the time from this church and Tim's church and other churches, beloved. You say, well, preacher, nobody can be here every time, right? (laughs) Excuse me, I'm here every time. (laughs) I'm here every time. Uh, I have to be. <laughs> i tell you a story that, uh, that uh, uh, it, I won't name the preacher, but some of you will know who I'm talking about. A uh, preacher of a different order of Baptists was having trouble with church attendance. And uh, one Sunday morning, uh, he showed up at another church. And the preacher of that church was a friend of his. And he comes up to him, and said, Brother, uh, are you uh, are you?" y'all not having church at your church he said well I guess they are he said we're having trouble with church attendance I thought I'd show them what it's like (laughs) he didn't show up (laughs) and didn't tell anybody he just didn't show up (laughs) now listen I understand I do that there are physical illnesses there 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 are times when people are out of town I get that I'm not saying that that I'm not here to browbeat anybody. I'm thankful you're here this morning. I'm certainly not browbeating those that are here. <laughs> but I realize there are reasons, but I'll tell you this, beloved. When I'm away, even this past summer when I was away, um, and we joined via Zoom, when I've been sick, and I've been able to join last, last week, even being in Las Vegas, of course, I was in church or two weeks ago, I couldn't stand it. I had to join via Zoom be a part of this even if you can't let me tell you beloved your heart ought to break your heart ought to hurt and one of the things that i think about so often is my poor old daddy he went to church for the last time on father's day of june of 2019 and he wanted to go so bad after that but he just couldn't do it you know there's going to be a time when you and i can't go to church there's going to be a time when we're not able Oh, beloved, let's, let's take advantage of it every chance that we get. I didn't mean to get off into all that, but let me tell you this. It's not just about church attendance, though. That's important, but it's not just about being here. What it's about is your life revolving around Him. It's not carving out a little time for Him on Sunday. You can be here every single service. You can be here every time the doors are open and, and not really be here. You can be here all day. We could have an annual meeting and you could sit here for hours and your mind and heart be off somewhere else thinking about fishing or something else out there that you need to be doing. Beloved, our lives should should revolve around Him. It's not carving out a little time for Him on Sunday, but making God the hub of the wheel of our entire existence, beloved, the mainspring of all of our thoughts and deeds and words that they all ought to be centered upon Him. Our love for Him ought to be the thing that defines us in every place that we go, in every situation we find ourselves in. There ought not ever be a place where you and I would be ashamed for the Lord to be with us because guess what? He's with you. There ought to be no place in our lives that takes priority over our love for Him. We're only in church a couple of times on Sunday and once on Wednesdays. We ought to live like we're in church every day of our lives. Why? Because we're trying to get to heaven? No. But because he first loved us. One other thing I'll t- tell you, and I know I'm over, but I'm quitting a minute. Beloved, our love for and obedience to God is going to be directly proportional to our view of God. And that's why it's so important to see God as high and lifted up as he is and ourselves as lowly sinners that we are. You say, why is it so important that we believe in sovereign grace, that he did it all, that Jesus paid it all? All to him I owe. Sin was like a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. Why is it important that we believe in the doctrines of grace? Because only those doctrines put God as high as he really is in our minds. Only the teachings that God chose a people before the foundation of the world and did everything necessary to save them for eternal heaven, did it all finish the work. Only that teaching, you know, any other teaching that adds any other thing to it, maybe it's just a whisper of a, of a, of a syllable of a word that you have to do, but beloved, you can take credit for that. Oh, but not under the teachings of grace. God is high and lifted up on his throne. And we are like the worms of the dust. Only sovereignty, the sovereign grace of God will put him where he needs to be so that we can love him like we ought to. See, think about this and we'll close. The problem with the Pharisees was not the ignorance of this commandment. There's a lot of people that know the Bible out there. There's a lot of people that can quote it forwards and backwards. The Pharisees could do that. They wore this very very scripture. They wore it around their necks and on their sleeves. The problem was not ignorance of the commandment, but it was the comprehension of its significance and the understanding that that was their compass. That ought to be their purpose in life. What is my purpose in life? I don't know whether you're going to be a lawyer, a farmer, a doctor, any, you know, a, a, a factory worker. What I don't know, but it doesn't matter. That's not your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Beloved, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Let's go out from here today and live like we're doing that. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.